0: Father, we do look forward to the day that we will be with you forever. That we will be in the presence of your son because of the forgiveness of sins that he brought forth, shedding his blood for us. Father, we look forward to that day. And yet, Lord, you have us here right now. You have us at this point where you desire us to grow in the grace and knowledge of your son by faith. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And I pray we would do so. I pray you would take your word today and work in all of our hearts that which is pleasing. That you would convict us of areas of sin that we need to see that we're not seeing. Areas of hardness that have come into our lives that need to be broken. And Lord, just grow us so that we would become more like your son. We thank you for your word and we commit our time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Scripture makes it clear that the fall of man has affected every person. You see, in uh, Romans chapter 3, Paul, quoting the Old Testament, says, There are none righteous, not even one. There are none who seeks God. They all have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And he shares in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it's clear that sin affects every one of us, and therefore it affects every relationship. Now, certainly, our sin separates us from God until Christ bridges the gap through the forgiveness of sins he brought on the cross. But sin still affects relationships. It affects work, family, uh, whatever it might be. Sin affects also, as we'll see today, the marriage relationship. Now, God in his redemptive discipline forewarns Adam to, and Eve of the consequences of their sin, of the fall. In Genesis 3.16, he says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, or you could even say raise children. Your, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's the, that's the result of the fall. The term desire speaks of hungering intent, the woman's hungering intent in terms of her spiritual state in sin is to intent to, to be in control, as we'll see, towards her husband. And it also shows the intent and the sinful, the sinful reality for, for husbands who are not following the Lord, that they will attempt to rule over their wives. The reality is, simply put, for women, sin causes her to desire to control her husband. And for men, sin causes them to harshly rule over and dominate their wives. This is the default state for everyone, for every marriage apart from Christ. And yet, unfortunately, divorce statistics reveal it's the same state for many underlying marriages of those who claim to be believers. Now, today we come to a passage in which we're going to address uh, God's desire for wives in the marriage relationship. And Lord willing, next week we'll look at God's desire for husbands. Now, as we look at this, I want to share a few caveats. One, that this passage is for everyone, as we're going to see. That the principles for wives apply to each and every one of us. We need to understand what a Christ-like life and heart looks like. And secondly, we need to understand that uh, if you're a husband, please don't be, during this message, pointing and thinking about your wife. Seriously, be thinking about how it applies to your heart. And the same thing for wives next week. We need to address our own hearts, and then when we are right before the Lord, we can graciously and lovingly come alongside if needed. We need to address our own hearts here first, so please address your own hearts. And again, this is for those who are married, but as we're going to see, the principles apply to all of us. So if you're not married or you're a man, you may think, okay, this doesn't apply to me, but it does as we're going to see. There are elements that secondarily apply to each and every one of us. So please pay attention. It's a wonderful passage. We need to learn to have the right heart attitude in the context of difficult situations. So with that in mind, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And, and really, we're going to see what wives are to be. And I've had a bunch of different subtitles here. One of them is The Silent Preaching of a Godly Wife. The reality of what God does through a heart that is submitted to him, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, this is a long portion here, six verses, so I want to just briefly review the context. We're in the book of 1 Peter, and Peter is writing those who are suffering. They're in Asia Minor. They're just about to suffer a lot, about to enter into a fiery ordeal. And he has reminded them that they are aliens and sojourners, that this is not their home. He has reminded them of the great salvation they have in Jesus Christ. And although there are temporal trials now that God is using to refine us, ultimately we have this tremendous salvation that we should be rejoicing in. He has reminded them of how we should be, what we should be doing, that we should be fixing our hope on the grace to be brought to us when when Christ comes. We're to live and be holy because he is holy. We're to live in the context of godly fear and we are to love the body of Christ because we've been born again unto that. And we are to yearn for the, for the pure milk of the word that by it we might grow in respect to salvation. Because what God is doing for those who have truly tasted his kindness is building us up as a, as a holy temple. Uh, we are the priests offering holy sacrifices or sacrifices to him. We used to not be his people, but by his mercy we are his people. We're a distinct people to proclaim his excellencies. And then we came to the portion, chapter two, of the application of the book, where we are to, as aliens and temporary residents, to stay far away from fleshly lusts, which wage war with our souls. Have you had a war this week? I'm sure we probably have. Each and every one of us is tempted in these areas. These things wage war, they battle against the soul. And then he says to keep our behavior or keeping our behavior excellent among Gentiles. So as they observe your good behavior and slander you for your good deeds, they might glorify God in the day of visitation. That's really the basis for what he shares in the rest of the book here. As we see our behavior in the midst of an ungodly world as we suffer for Jesus Christ. And how does that work? First of all, in ordered relationships. And he gives the, 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 the commands for us within government. To, to submit to government, to, to honor the king, to fear and to pray for them, we see in First Timothy. And how those in the slave-master relationship are to function, which really mirrors our work relationship. We are to submit to those who are even harsh. We're to submit. And, and because it finds favor with God, if we endure those things with our conscience towards God, not towards a situation, we endure those things, it finds favor with God. And then we saw that we've been called for this purpose as believers to suffer as Christ did, to follow in his footsteps. And what did he do? What was his pattern that we are to trace, that tracing pattern that we are to see? He didn't sin. He didn't sin by trying to get out of it or there was no guile found. He didn't try. It wasn't deceitful. He uttered no threats. Uh, he also didn't revile. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return and threatened, uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And through that trust and obedience to the Father, he brought about our salvation, where he bore our sins in his body, that we might die to sin and live to God. And ultimately, that by his wounds we have been healed, and we have now turned and repented and turned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. It's at this point we come to chapter 3 where we have another relationship in which there is authority and submission. We see three of them this is the third of them in 1st Peter which we're going to see and it has to do with husbands and wives. And it's quite possible that they ha- that many of these people came to faith and maybe they didn't have believing husbands in that sense possibly. You know the reality is people come to faith and sometimes one of the spouses is not saved. And God places us in those situations as we are called. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 7. And there are other situations where people sin and marry a non-believing spouse. But God tells us how we are to respond even if one was disobedient to the word. But the principles actually apply to every wife and everyone who will be a wife. And we need to understand these things, all of us, so that we would understand what godliness looks like, not only in our wives, but in our own hearts. Again, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry jewelry and putting on dresses but it let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of the lord for in this way w- way in former times the holy women also who hoped in god used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands thus sarah obeyed abraham calling him lord And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. This is a tremendous passage. And whether you're a woman, uh, married, unmarried, whether you're a man, whatever it might be, this is a tremendous passage because we see how we are to function in the context of relationships in which we are to submit. But specifically here it has to do with wives. So with that in mind, what are wives to be? We're going to see basically three things. First of all, notice wives are simply to submit. And ultimately, so that God might use their observable behavior, not their words, but their observable behavior for redemptive opportunities. And we're going to see those redemptive opportunities are not simply limited to a spouse, to those around as they see a godliness in a wife. And then thus people do not blaspheme God because one is in disobedience. Again, look at verse 1, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they might be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your, your chaste and respectful behavior. Notice our passage begins with the term in the same way. In the same way. We're going to look at that in a minute. It's really important. Keep that in mind. We're going to see the command first, but we're going to remember that it begins with, in the same way, pointing back to what he has just said, concerning Christ. Concerning Christ. Now this idea of submission is a hot button in some churches. Uh, Sometimes this biblical concept of submission causes anger, division, uh, whatever it might be. And the so-called evangelical churches is highly divided over this idea of submission. But the reality is there shouldn't be any argument or any divisiveness or any anger or anything because God simply says something and we're willing to submit to him. Then we understand that he has spoken and we submit to his word. Look at this portion. You wives be submissive to your own husbands. Obviously, we're speaking about marriage here. And remember, marriage was God's idea, not man's idea. Man didn't figure out marriage. God figured out marriage. Look in Genesis chapter 2. It was God's idea, not man's. And also remember that in the New Testament, marriage is not for everyone. Matthew 19, 12, 1 Corinthians seven twenty five to 35. If God wills you to be married, that's a good thing. If he wills you to be single, it is a good thing. God has ordained some are married and some are single. Paul had that gift of singleness, as we see in 1 Corinthians 7, which allows someone to serve the Lord in an undistracted manner. But regardless of whether you're married or not, these principles do apply, but specifically and primarily they apply to wives. So with that in mind, what does Scripture say? You wives be submissive to your own husbands. It's a simple statement. But what does it mean? We've seen this word before, be subject or submit or, or be submissive, hupotasso. The term hupo means under, and, t- and, and it means to, to be under, and, t- and uh, excuse me, tasso means to arrange or to line up. The idea is lining up or ordering under someone. The, the, it was used in a military sense of soldiers lining up behind the commanding, the commanding officer, one submitting to their superiors. The word carries the idea of giving up one's will and lining up under the authority of another. Now, it's important. This word does not address personhood. It addresses position. Position, not personhood. It addresses position. Biblical submission is an ordering under, a voluntarily lining oneself up under. It is subjection to God-given authority, in, for God-ordained relationships. And we have seen this already, that God has ordained relationships in which there is submission. We saw in Romans 13 and also earlier in 1 Peter 2 that we are to be submitting to the governing authorities. We saw that servants are to submit to their masters, Titus uh, 2 and 1 Peter 2, and even Ephesians. And Scripture is clear that young men are to order themselves under their elders, 1 Peter 5, 5. And Scripture is clear that we are to be in submission to Christ who is the head of the church, Ephesians chapter 5. And certainly all of us within that are to submit to God. We see the exhortation in the context of adultery with the world to to humble oneself and and to submit to God and resist the devil. James chapter 4, verse 7. And our passage reveals that wives are to be submissive to, as we will see, to their own husbands. This is not a general command for wives to submit to men. It's not. It is for wives to submit to their own husbands. That's what it is. To place yourself under your husband's God-given authority. And as we will see, even if they are non-believers, even if they are disobedient to the word, which implies they're not the greatest people at this point, place yourself under your husband's authority. And this is not a suggestion. It is a command. And if you choose not to voluntarily, willingly do this, you are outright disobeying God on a major level, and trouble is coming. You will reap what you sow. Just as we will see for the men, if we are disobedient, there is trouble. There is trouble in any area, and especially in these relationships which are so crucial and important. Now, this is not an isolated command in Scripture. It's actually in a whole bunch of places. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And after we look at the command, we'll get into what does it look like from the heart level. Because a lot of people will submit, ah, you know, okay, I'll do what he says or whatever it is, you know. That's not submission as we're going to see. It's from a changed heart that is like Christ, that understands what God is doing, even in the midst of difficulty and unjust suffering, even in the marriage relationship. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, again, as to the Lord. As though you submit to the Lord, submit to your husband. God's placed him in your, in your life. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. I'll read this for you. Colossians 3.18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It is the right thing to do to be subject to your husbands. And we'll see what that means in a minute. Titus 2, actually. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, verse 3. Here we have Paul giving Titus sound doctrine, sound doctrine that can only be done in the context of having been saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ, who is instructing us now to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live uprightly in this present evil age. Titus 2, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the term encourage means to really put into the mind right thinking the young women to what love their husbands to love their children to be sensible pure workers at home kind being subject to their own husbands that the word of god might not be dishonored you know, when a wife does not place herself under the authority of the husband, it is dishonoring to God. It, it's, the word dishonored, we'll see later on, means that the word of God might not be blasphemed or spoken against. We're going to see when we disobey God, it gives the world opportunities to blaspheme God. When you obey God, even though the world may slander you and speak evil of you, God uses those things for redemptive opportunities. And that's much more important than your current circumstances and situations what god is doing so with this in mind does submission make a wife anything less wives you are spiritually equal to your husband the reality is in christ we are the same we've been all saved by the blood of christ there is no there is is, there's there's no difference in a sense spiritually between a man and a woman we are equals before the lord but there are roles that god has has given and husbands, we see that we better be careful. We'll see this next week, First Peter 3, 7, that we, grant, that we grant our wives honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life and we live according to knowledge, biblical knowledge, or our prayers will be hindered. Our relationship with God is hindered. So does submission make you anything less? If you think it does, you're, you're, you're sorely mistaken because of the example of Christ who submitted to the Father. Turn to First Corinthians 11, verse 3. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, yet God chose roles, and there was voluntary submission within those roles to bring forth our redemption. 1 Corinthians eleven three. 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. We see that Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father in the role that he took on. And he is nothing less. He is not less in any way, shape, or form. And submitting to your husband does not make you less in any way, shape, or form. It is not about personhood, but about position in Christ. You are a joint heir of the grace of life. There's nothing more valuable than being his child. And we are men and women who have trusted in Christ, his children. Now, it's interesting, Scripture doesn't directly command wives to obey their husbands. It says to submit to them, to voluntarily order under. But we'll see later on in verse 6 that Sarah obeyed her husband, calling him Lord. She, in the context of submission, there is obedience, obviously. But it's not like a child where the children obey your parents in the Lord. This is a voluntary yielding to God's will in the context of an ordered relationship for his glory, as we'll see. Now, one caveat, as we'll see, biblical submission doesn't mean disobeying God. If your husband wants you to sin, you are not to submit. You must obey God over him. And the examples we have, we have a few examples in Scripture. Uh, We have in Acts chapter 5 when they were told not to preach of Jesus. They said we must obey God rather than men. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down and worship the, the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And they wouldn't do so, but they were respectful, but they wouldn't do so. Now, there are other things that are not absolutes that are different things. Like uh, the, like we see for Daniel in the Old Testament, in the ceremonial law, he w- didn't want to defile himself with the with the king's food. And he graciously and wisely petitioned in the context of trusting the Lord for something different. He didn't demand and say, hey, I have no way I'm eating your food. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to do that. He submitted to his uh, authority and he respectfully and wisely. And negotiated with those over him what's my point we need to obey god rather than man when your husband asks you specifically to sin to sin maybe it's you know maybe it's to the not to the point of being told to worship, not worship the lord or be in his word or something like that he says hey you can't go to church negotiate i love you i love the lord and i want to worship the lord how about this how will this work but there's a point where you need to say you know i love the lord And I need to do and be obedient to him. Whatever it might be. We're going to see that ultimately it's done in the context of a gentle and quiet, submissive spirit. Anything that's done no matter what. Not confrontational. So women are to submit to their husbands. And we see that's in everything. Back to our passage. Notice the manner in which women are to submit. We're going to see the manner. It's really an external manner and an internal manner. But then we'll see the heart issue in a second. Verse 1, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. The term in the same way is translated in some versions, likewise. And down in verse 7, it's the exact same Greek word for the husbands. Likewise are literally in the same way. I wish the NASB would have translated it the same. It's literally in the same way. In the same way, you wives... Be submissive to your own husbands. What's the same way? What way are they to be submissive? Well, it's pretty obvious if you know the context, what we studied just before this. Look back at 1 Peter 2.18 and let's read up through this and we see the way in which wives are to be submissive. And the context, remember this, the context is ordered relationships submission to the point of doing what is right and suffering for it and that may happen in a marriage relationship by the way first peter chapter 2 verse 18 servants be submissive to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and gentle but also to those who are unreasonable we're going to see that potential exists for a spouse that's unreasonable and not good and gentle For this finds favor for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under under sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if you sin and are harshly treated and endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, for this finds favor with God. And notice this, verse 20. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. He suffered unjustly, but he endured it as we will see. He says, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example or, or a tracing pattern to follow in his steps. And this is how, in the same way, wives are to do it. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He didn't sin to get out of the situation. He didn't, wasn't deceitful with his words to get out of it. While being reviled, what did he do? He did not revile in return while suffering he uttered no threats this is the way the same way wives are to submit they are to do what's right it says here and he kept, but kept trusting himself to the one who judges righteously trusting the lord in the midst of the circumstance trusting the lord trusting the lord handing over your soul to the one who judges righteously that's how you submit and you do it in the context of obedience And he himself, he's our perfect example, bore our sins in his body in the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way as Jesus Christ suffered unjustly but submitted to the Father's will to bring about our redemption. He didn't sin He didn't respond back. He trusted God instead. In the same way, be submissive to your own husbands. There's no way to do it apart from handing over your soul completely to Christ. You cannot generate this. You can do it externally, but you can't do it internally. It has to be in the context of a dependence on Christ. And this applies to all of us, but specifically here, wives. Jesus entrusted himself by doing what is right. And we're to do the same thing. Chapter 4, verse 19. We're to entrust our souls to a faithful creator in what? doing what is right. And for wise, what's doing what is right? Submitting to your husbands, as we will see, with a right heart. Even if they're disobedient. Even if they're not good guys, as we'll see. That God might work it out that they might become a good guy through salvation. As we'll see. Now, notice the reasoning initially we have here. The reasoning says, so that, verse 1, if even if, it's not saying that this is for every every single husband's not saved, so that, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, the term disobedient to the word speaks of a non-believer. Non-believers don't have the capability to obey God and his word. And they just live that way. And the term later on we'll see obeying the gospel. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 18 and 2 Thessalonians 1.8. When someone disobeys the gospel, they're not saved. God commands you to repent and believe. And when you don't do that, you're not saved. And those who are disobedient to the word are those who are not saved. So even if any of them are disobedient To the word notice what he says here middle of verse one this is so wonderful that may they they may be one without a word by the behavior of your wives as they observe your 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 chaste and respectful behavior it's what we saw earlier in chapter two that we are to keep our behavior excellent among the gentiles that even for the thing that we're slandered, as they observe our conduct, that's the same word translated behavior, they observe our life. They might be one without a word. Now we're going to see certainly no one is saved apart from the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. It is what is preached. It is the truth of God. We are born again by the living and abiding word of God. That word that was preached to us. But no one gets saved here in this context when they see the the the, when unless well well, excuse me what God does is He uses the behavior of a wife as a foundation for a husband to be one that they might glorify God in the day of visitation. Notice here He says that they might be one without a word, without a word. Peter's not saying people get saved without the gospel. He said earlier they get saved with it. It's through what was preached. But it's a platform for the gospel from a godly life that is glorifying to Christ. Wives who have unsaved husbands, I know you want your husbands saved. I know that. But do not pepper them with the gospel. From a changed Christ-like heart, submit to them. And as they see and observe your behavior, not your words, that they might be won. The idea of winning speaks of winning a soul. To Christ in the context. It is the silent preaching of a godly wife. A godly heart manifest in behavior and obedience to Christ. Comes from a changed heart. It's not a guarantee. But it's one of the means in which God saves unsaved spouses. The silent witness of Christ in your life. You will never nag your husband into the kingdom. You might uh, stumble him from the kingdom, by the way. You will never nag a husband to godliness. And what you sow, you will reap. You'll reap the opposite of what you desire. And God is giving us some input here. That they might be one without a word. By the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Wise when you suffer unjustly for Christ in the midst of the hands of an ungodly husband and you endure it with patience, this finds favor with God and God just might use your behavior as they observe it to win your husband. It's quite possible. I want to share one caveat. It's not talking about being abused, I mean physically abused. We have laws in our country for that. I would separate if there's physical abuse. I wouldn't stay under and submit in that context. I would separate, talk to your leaders in the church, go to the authorities if you need to. But it doesn't keep out the possibility of verbal abuse, to be honest with you, in the context of this passage. The context of this passage is is people saying things against you, slandering you, things like that. Saying things that are not godly, abusing in that sense. Our, Our country talks about that as verbal abuse. The real possibility is in the context of this, that as you follow Christ in the midst of that difficulty, suffering unjustly, as we follow in his footsteps, how did he didn't revile and return? In the same way. He uttered no threats. You better not abuse me. I'm a daughter of the king. No, he uttered no threats. We're to utter no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously, and that's what wiser to do. That's what we need to do. And I heard of a circumstance from one pastor where some women came to the pastor and wanted to get approval for divorcing uh, the husband because he was verbally abusive. And the pastor said, I find nowhere in scripture where this is justified. Rather, I see in scripture what you are to be. And he read 1 Peter chapter 3. And in that context, the wives who were elders' wives got quite angry. But the woman didn't divorce her husband. She obeyed the word of God, and by his grace in this circumstance he came to faith if perhaps if perhaps it's not justifying anyone's behavior god is the righteous judge who judges righteously not talking about physical abuse but i'm talking about difficulty in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse and maybe as we'll see even a believing spouse in sin how do we deal with that how do we deal with that now i'm not talking about becoming a doormat. I'm not talking about being physically abused. I'm talking about responding like Jesus in the context of ordered relationships so that one might be won by the conduct of their wives. And again, it's not just husbands that are watching their kids, their neighbors, their people around that aren't saved that are watching those who are believers, whether you think they are or not. They're observing our conduct. They're observing our conduct. So back to our passage. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that's non-believers, the context is suffering unjustly, by the way, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. And notice he says, as they observe something, uh, verse 2, as they observe, they look at, they see something, not hearing your words, but they see something. As they observe your chaste, and respectful behavior in the midst of maybe suffering unjustly under a bad husband not talking about being abused talking about suffering unjustly as they observe your chaste it speaks of holy or that which is pure it is conduct that is not tainted with sin how would you be sinful in this situation reviling in return well it's like christ the chaste holy behavior not reviling trusting the lord instead as they observe your pure behavior and also your respect, your respectful behavior. Now, some say that's respect for God, and certainly we do fear God, but I believe in the context, this is respect for a husband. Even in the midst of an ungodly husband, a non-saved husband, as they observe your holy, pure, and respectful behavior. that Only God can do that. Only God can cause someone to be that way in the midst of a circumstance like that. As they observe it, they might be one. They might be one. Oh, how disrespectful we can be at times when we disagree with someone. But this speaks of respect. It's actually the term translated fear. And scripture is clear. We're not to sin. We're to respond rightly. Wives are to. In the end of Ephesians chapter 5... They are to see to it that they respect their husbands, to fear them. There's a sense of of wanting to, to please them so there's no displeasure. Now that's in the context of godliness, like we would fear God. We want to obey him. Trust the Lord like Christ. Submit to your husbands in the context of purity and respect. And maybe, without a word, they might be one or an opportunity to, 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 act, to hear why you have hope, why you have hope. You see, because only Christ can enable you to behave that way, and it's different than everyone else in the world. I'll tell you that right now. It's different. As you submit in the context of purity, don't react, respond, revile, threat, whatever it is. Don't do that. But entrust yourself to one judge right in the same way, and you fear and respect God just might use your outward behavior. Now, some of you ladies have believing husbands, and you'll, and you'll say, well, there's no motive to be this way because he's already saved. Well, the passage just says, if perhaps, it is directing all wives to be submissive in this manner. In this manner. You see, the reality is God calls us to submit in different relationships, and here wives are to submit. And not only is your husband watching, your kids are watching, there are those around you watching. Look at Titus chapter 2 again. Titus 2, the end of verse 5. The older women are to teach the younger women to do this. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind. Oh, how easy it's not to be kind when you don't agree with your husband. Now, women, don't worry. We'll talk about men next week. But the reality is being subject to their own husband's that the word of god may not be blasphemed when we don't follow christ and obey his word god is blasphemed. his word is blasphemed we don't want that to happen wives you want to change your husband even a believing husband certainly pray for them allow your behavior from a right heart as you trust the lord to be That sermon that their hearts may be convicted that they might turn and trust the lord jesus christ for salvation If they're not saved if they are saved that they might more obediently follow jesus christ now Now certainly there is room in a marriage relationship to bring the word of god to bear Respectfully upon sin in a husband's life But also love covers them almost to the sense We need to obey the word but it's done in the context of purity Respect and submission now you say, okay, I've got it. I think I'm good to go. I, I, I'm, I've got what I need to know. Well, the reality is Peter continues here by talking about what's at the core of the issue, which is the heart. And this is the core for every single one of us. We're going to see not only our wives to submit that they might win unbelieving husbands, that there might be redemptive opportunities, not only with our husbands, but with those around them. Is the context of 1 Peter. But that they're also to do so adorning their hearts with this imperishable christ-like quality of a yielded and quiet trust which only comes from a changed right heart attitude that desires to obey trust and please god look at our passage again in first peter two three excuse me in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husband's so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And notice he's continuing based on what he's just said. There's an and there. Look at verse 3. And, and let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, and putting on dresses. And here's a contrast, verse 4, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality, it's one quality with two aspects, of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. In the same way that Christ submitted, women are to submit, and we'll see the heart attitude here. He says here, don't simply adorn the outside. We know that women adorn the outside. That's a reality. Now, there was some problems in in the churches of these days. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Women were decking themselves out so much that it was a distraction, and it was a big distraction. And he addresses that in 1 Timothy 2, which which was read earlier. But here he says, and let not your adornment be merely external or on the outside, Braiding of hair, wearing of gold, jewelry, putting on dresses. The term adornment here comes from the Greek word kosmos, which is usually translated world, and it means the ordered world. It's something that's in order, right? And we, have, we get our word cosmetics from it. You know, when the idea of using cosmetics is to order oneself in the context of beauty, right? There can be disorder the way we dress. There can be order the way we dress. There can be disorder concerning women's makeup, whatever that might. it can be order in that. So he says, let not your adornment be merely external. You could actually translate it this way. "Whose adorning? Let it not be that which is outward, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, and putting on, it says dresses here, but it literally is the word garments. And if you'll notice in your passage, the word merely is in italics. Often, the translators will add in something that they want to help you understand what the intent of the original language is. Now, there are those who have misinterpreted this passage greatly. There are legalistic churches, and especially I see this in homeschooling communities at times, who take this verse and say, you shouldn't braid your hair, you shouldn't wear gold jewelry, and you shouldn't put on dresses. And if you took it literally like that, I'd say, you know what? Literally, it says that. But... The only problem with that is the last word is not dresses in the original language. It is garments. If you want to take it literally, then you're not supposed to wear clothes. You see what I'm saying? The point is, don't merely do this, but instead do this. You beautify the outside. That's okay to a certain extent, as we see 1 Timothy 2. But don't just beautify the outside. Beautify the inside. You spend time adorning yourself as a woman, and that's a good thing. God isn't against that at all. One pastor says, maybe there should be more of it. But the reality is, you should not only do that, but you should be doing what's on the inside, adorning the inside. Look back at our passage, and let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses or putting on clothes. That's what it says literally. But in contrast, let it be the hidden person of the heart this is a command by the way it says it's commanding not to be merely the external and then the command is implied in the second portion but let it be continually habitually the hidden person of the heart it's a heart issue it's a heart issue with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of god ah this is so important you will never understand biblical submission, whether it's wise, whatever it is, or even us to God, apart from realizing it is a heart issue. It's not externals. It's not externals. It's a heart issue. You can submit it externally in all the situations God allows, but if your heart isn't there, you're not submitting. You're not submitting at all. That's not submission, that's hypocrisy. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Let it be, i.e. your adornment, that beautification, that ordering. Not merely those external things, that's, that's nothing wrong with that, but the internal thing, the hidden person, or literally man. That's kind of interesting, it's for women, but the hidden man of the heart. It's the, it's the inner man. It's who you really are. What's on the outside isn't who you are. It can reflect it, no doubt about that. There's no doubt our outside can reflect that. But it's who you are in the heart. Scripture says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. What we are, what we think, the way we think, our minds, our hearts, the same thing, is who we are. We need to adorn our hearts. Now, women here, obviously, you are to beautify your heart. The heart is the issue. Your thinking will manifest then in righteous behavior of submission with a right heart, like we see in a moment Sarah and holy women of old did but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. It's one quality, imperishable quality. Very important, one imperishable quality. What does he mean by that? Imperishable means that which is not subject to decay, that which is not subject to sin, that which is immortal. We were subject to sin. We are decaying, but we were saved by Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable. This is a quality of God, not of man. This quality does not come from us. It comes from from God. It's an imperishable quality. Imperishable quality of two things described in two ways. A gentle and quiet spirit. It's like Christ, as we'll see. Christ was this way when he suffered for us. Christ was this way when he was wrongly uh, maligned. Christ was this way when he suffered unjustly. Women, same thing. Same thing. Gentle and quiet spirit. The term gentle in, in Greek there are a couple words for gentle. This word is is often translated meekness. Meekness. It, it often is also paired with humility. You'll see this word gentle and humility right together. Ephesians four two, Colossians three twelve, Matthew eleven, twenty nine, which we'll look at in a minute. In light of the passages that have this word, I believe one lexicon shares it, uh, speaks of this word rightly, it speaks of a humble and gentle attitude which expresses itself in patient submissiveness to offense. It's a humble and gentle. It's meekness. It's gentle. It's not weakness. It's a gentle attitude that trusts God, that he's working through it. I don't need to take control of the situation. I don't need to make it work out. It's not going to fall apart if I let it go. I'm going to trust The Lord! There's a gentleness to it. It's a gentleness. There's a meekness. A humbly submissive inward quality towards God and thus towards your husband. It's a temper of spirit that is manifest in an outward demeanor of gentleness and consideration rather than malice, contentiousness, regardless of circumstance. And, wives, it's beautiful. It's an adornment. It's like the beautiful things that you do to make yourself beautiful as women. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's precious, as we'll see. The word means very valuable. In God's sight, it is so valuable to him to see the characteristic of Christ in your heart. In your heart. It's a heart issue. No matter how bad things go, I'm entrusting myself to the Lord. I'm trusting him. I'm trusting to work through this for his good. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. It's, 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 it's on the inside. No one can see it, but it will be manifest. But God sees it. That's precious. And notice, secondly, he says, a quiet spirit. Now, this doesn't simply mean zipping your lip. It speaks of the internal reality that results in an external quietness, as we'll say. The word translated quiet here speaks of that which is tranquil tranquil it's not simply zipping your lip and sucking it in okay i'm just gonna submit there's a tranquility it's an inward calm based on a trust in christ i don't have to bear this i don't have to make this work out i trust you lord jesus i trust you i have peace i have peace no matter how bad it looks you're able to be quiet not revile in return not utter threats, to win without words. You see, when Christ is in control of your heart, you don't need to nag your husband. When Christ is in control of your heart, you trust Christ. Trust Christ. Now, does this, this term quiet mean that you're absolutely mute? Absolutely not. It speaks of that tranquil, calm demeanor, not a fake calm. There are people who can fake being calm. That's not it, it's a heart attitude of calmness as you trust Christ that will manifest in your actions and your behavior towards your spouse and others. It's only because of Christ, and it is beautiful adornment. It is, as we see here, precious. It's so. The word precious means extremely valuable. You want to know what God values? He values when you are like Christ. When you yield yourself to him and trust yourself to him, no matter what oh lord okay, can 't trust you, and this applies to all submissive relationships, by the way, but here specifically, because remember it said likewise, as Christ did, likewise it 's an internal heart adornment it 's the heart, everything I preach and teach you from the Word of God, it has to do with the heart, the heart. submit from the right heart, ladies, a gentle and quiet spirit, this this eternal quality that comes from Christ, comes from trusting him. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. And let me ask you this. What is your heart adorned with? Is it raging against the circumstances in your life? Maybe against your spouse? Do you have a continual tug to try to control your circumstances? Or do you have a gentle and quiet spirit trusting the lord to work through it submitting to god and thus your husband in the context of purity respect with the right heart the right heart this is what god commands and men we need to trust the lord too and yield our hearts over this is what let it be ladies let it be the hidden person when you get up in the morning i'm sure most ladies you comb your hair you brush your teeth you do whatever you need to do put on makeup i don't know you do those things and adorn yourself. Adorn your heart. Get in the word of God. Confess your, your attitudes if you have them. Trust him. Let his word work on your heart that you would be submissive like Christ. Doing what is right. Doing what is right. If you find yourself this isn't you, maybe you're not one of God's children. Maybe you're not one of Sarah's children as we'll see. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Or maybe you've allowed the hardness of sin to get in your life. Confess, God forgives you. Confess, be forgiven, move forward. Move forward and allow God to beautify your heart with that which is precious. Where's your heart in relationship to your husband? Is it internally adorned, trusting and abiding in Christ no matter how difficult? And some of you might have some confessing to do. All of us recognize at times we are not like this and we need to confess. So then what are wives to be? God commands them to be submissive in the same way as Christ, that he might even bring about redemptive opportunities through righteous behavior to response to unjust suffering in the context of chaste and respectful behavior, but it has to come from the heart, a heart that has been adorned with Christ-likeness, trusting him, relying on him, allowing his nature and demeanor to be manifest. I didn't share this, but uh, Matthew chapter eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. That's the term, same term, meek, gentle. And lastly, we're given some real-life examples. Real-life examples. You think, hey, that's impossible. Can't do this. Well, maybe it is for you. But for a true believer it is possible. And we're going to see that in the holy woman of old. Let's read through our passage and look at this. In the same way, verse one, you eyes be submissive to your own husbands, uh, so as so that if even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding of hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And by the way, guys, when you look for a wife, look for that. That's what you want to look for. Beauty is 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 fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord. Okay. Side note. Okay. But uh, now we have an explanation. Verse uh, verse five. For in this way, in what way? We'll see gentle quiet spirit and trusting to god adorning adorning with submissiveness as we'll see in the right heart for in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in god used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands not simply submission it's in this way the heart right there's an explanation for in this way well what way What he just explained, the internal adornment of a gentle and quiet spirit in the context of submission. In this way, the same way that Christ submitted himself. In this way, he says the holy women. That's an amazing statement. That's speaking of believers. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was a holy man you see? And when the women of old trusted in Jesus Christ, believed in him through the seed of Abraham, that would be him, obviously, trusting that he would die for their sins, he would take their place. All the sacrifices pointed to it. They were made righteous through faith. And the holy women speaks of those who were saved. And notice these holy women, who did they hope in? Hoped in their husbands to change? No. They hoped in God. They hoped in God. God is their hope. If you're a true believer, who's your hope? It's God. It's God. And notice what they did. They used to adorn themselves in the same way. If you're a true believer, that's what true believers do, ladies. Adorn their hearts this way. That's what they did. The holy women of old, that's what they did. They used to adorn themselves. It's not a pie-in-the-sky thought that you can never get there. Real people who are sinful and struggle with the same temptations hoped in God and adorned their hearts. Adorn their hearts. And we can too, brothers and sisters. They adorn their hearts. Being submissive to their own husbands. It's not simply the outward act, it's the inward heart that leads to that. Trusting yourself to God, hoping in Him, allowing His character to be manifest, adorning your heart, tranquil, gentle, only comes from Christ. You've got to confess. If you're in that, we say, I can't be this way. Well, maybe don't know the Lord, but if you do, just confess. Be honest with God. He will set you free, and He will enable you by faith to have this heart. What about widows and single women? Christ is your husband. Submit to Him with the right attitude. Yield to Him. So then, in this way, holy women who trusted in God... And hoped in God did this. And notice we have a specific example of someone who failed. Who made a lot of mistakes but grew in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And became faithful and is considered a holy woman. Thus Sarah, verse 6, obeyed Abraham. There's no commands for women to obey their husbands. There's commands to submit. And within that there's going to be a yielded obedience. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. It was respectful. It was respect, right? Chaste, chaste and respect. Calling him Lord. Now some believe this is the situation that we see in Scripture in Genesis 18:12, where she says Lord to him, but that was in the context of her not believing what God had said concerning a child, where she laughed. I don't think that's the situation here. I think this is pointing to when she was walking with the Lord and a holy lady in that sense, and she just obeyed him. She obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. We see later on in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 that uh, she was fully confident. Hebrews chapter 11, 11, By faith Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time since she considered him faithful who promised. She trusted the Lord. She, she blew it along the way, but she trusted the Lord. And here she is the paradigm of women. You see, Abraham is the paradigm of those who believe. He is the paradigm of faith. He is the father, in a sense, of those who believe. Sarah is the father of women, in this sense, who believe. Because she submitted to Abraham in the same way. It was the right heart, not the wrong heart. This is speaking of when she did it rightly. And you have become her children. You are her spiritual children, in a sense, if, here you go, You do what is right. What's right? Submitting with the right heart in the midst of even difficult situations and sin even. Not causing sin, but but sinful situations. Submitting. Obeying God. And then notice this last qualifier. Without being frightened by any fear. God is so great to put in those things that you need to hear. What are the temptations for women? If I submit, what will happen? You can fear all the outcomes of what will happen if I submit to this Ungodly man. I'm not talking about sin. Don't fear. And trust yourself to the one who judges righteously. He's going to use your behavior for good. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't be frightened by any fear. When you trust the Lord Jesus, you are under his wings. He's going to protect you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, you're going to go through difficulty. Yes, but God uses those for his good, just like with Christ. If you do what is right, are you doing what is right? Have you become her children? Some of you were married before, your spouse is dead, divorced, whatever it might be. Look back. Did I sin? Confess it, get right. Get right. Was I this way? If you weren't, confess it. Get right with the Lord. Get right with the Lord. So then, what are women to be? What are women to be? Well, scripture reveals here fairly clearly that wives are to submit like Christ did. That God might use their observable behavior, that chaste and respectful behavior, for redemptive opportunities. Wives are to submit by adorning their hearts with the imperishable Christ-like quality of a yielded, gentle, and quiet trust, which only comes through faith and trust in the Lord. And wives, if you do what is right, following the examples of godly women from the past, realize this is the way of those who are truly saved. You become her children if you do what is right. So obviously the applications for wives are obvious. What about everyone else of us? The reality is, it's no different for us, the walk of faith, to trust in Christ, to rely on him no matter what the difficulties. Yes, there may not be a submissive relationship, but we need to trust the Lord. We need to rely on him. We need to yield our hearts over to him. What are our believing wives to do? We see ultimately it is a yielded heart to Christ that he would be glorified through what he brings forth, even if it's bad. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice for us and your example that you laid for us. And Father, we praise you for your Son who gave himself for us. And Father, I pray for the ladies here who are married and those who aren't and those who might be, that uh, your word will have pierced the heart, that uh, the ladies here who are married will adorn themselves this way, And when they don't, they would just confess it and be forgiven, Lord God. And they would adorn themselves with this dependent trust on your son, Jesus, Christ-like trust and obedience, submitting, Lord God, with a right heart. Father, I thank you that this is not impossible because you're the one that does it through us. And we have the examples of holy women of old who hoped in you and did what you said. Father, I pray for the rest of us, Lord God, that we would apply these basic principles, Lord God, of trusting in your son, of relying in him, allowing him to change our hearts and our circumstances and situations, that we would become more like your son, that we would thank you for all that you have done, that we would praise you for all that you've done, even in the midst of difficulties and sorrow. Thank you for your word. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.